Welcome to Rethinking Education. Education's critical friend. Hello and welcome to episode 5 of the Rethinking Education Campfire Conversations, a series of live-streamed group conversations with people who want to rethink and reform education so as to bring about a more harmonious, less hair-raising state of world affairs. Today's conversation features a stellar cast who I will now introduce briefly. So this included a conversation between myself, Naomi Fisher, who, among other things, is a clinical psychologist and the author of Changing Our Minds, How Children Can Take Control of Their Own Learning. Amelia Peterson, who works at the LSE, the London School of Economics, and is about to move to the London Interdisciplinary School, and who is the co-author with Valerie Hannan of Thrive, The Purpose of Schools in a Changing World. We have Naomi Clark, a home educator with an interest in intersectionalism and neurodiversity. Yumna Hussein, who is the youth MP for Birmingham, among other things, and a member of Pupil Power and a former Campfire guest. Asma Malumi, a new person to the campfires, another member of Pupil Power. Lox Pratt, a homeschooler and the son of Kath Pratt, the founder of Soweni School down in Cornwall. Aliyah York, the founder of Pupil Power. Artemis D. Bear, the lead at Freedom to Learn and Phoenix Education and the founder of The Garden in Bristol. Kate McAllister, the principal of The Hive in the Dominican Republic. Rose Arnold, a home educator and the editor of Suitable Education, and James Micklebust Hampshire, a primary year's curriculum coordinator and homeroom teacher in Norway. So, as you can see, it is a stellar cast and there's a strong theme in today's conversation around self-directed learning and trying to separate out the difference between education and school. And especially towards the end, we really focused on how to support young people to make good choices. I hope you enjoy this fascinating conversation as much as I did. Okay, um, I believe we are now live. That that happened more quickly than I was anticipating. <laughs> live on Facebook. Welcome uh, to anybody watching us and welcome to everybody on the screen. There are lots of us today, rather excitingly, and we have a stellar cast and a theme for the first time. We have a, a theme, as you will as you will see when we start talking to people, of self-directed learning. Everybody's uh, got an interest in this. So let's whiz around the screen, and if you could just briefly introduce yourself uh, and say where in the world you are and what your interest is in self-directed learning. So let's start with Artemis. Hello, I'm Artemis Baer. I am the founder of The Garden, which is a learning community for young people in Bristol. I am a home educator and I also work for Phoenix Education Trust on the Freedom to Learn programme. Great, thank you. Uh, Rose. Hi, my name's Rose Arnold. I'm the founder and editor of a website about education and home education called Suitable Education. And I have a seven-year-old daughter who's a self-directed learner. Wonderful, thank you. James? Hi, I'm James. Uh, I'm in Norway. I'm a teacher um, at, in the PYP, and I'm kind of new to the whole unschooling, self-directed scene, and I'm really, really interested in learning more and also how to kind of bridge a gap between the two systems and kind of do things self-educate within a school system. 
Mm, thank you. Can you just explain what the PYP is in case anyone doesn't know? Yeah, it's the International Baccalaureate, uh, the primary years programme. Right, thank you. Uh, and Naomi Clark. Hello, I'm Naomi Clark. I'm in East London. I'm a home educator to two children. They are 10 and 6, both neurodiverse, which I'm also neurodiverse as well. Um, they're self-directed learners and have been forever. And I'm particularly interested in sociocracy. Um, I'm a permaculturist as well and just sort of interested in everything to do with democratic education and self-directed education for children. Thank you. And could you also explain what sociocracy means, in case anyone doesn't know what that word means? So sociocracy is similar to democracy, and the thing that sets it apart is that sociocracy is consent-based. So if you're working in sociocracy, you everyone in the group um, has to consent to a decision before it is passed, whereas in democracy it's much more majority rules. However, some democratic groups um, and democratic governances do use a system that's very similar to sociocracy. Um, and sociocracy also has a double link in the circle structure. So when you work in groups in sociocracy, there's a top-down and a bottom-up movement of, of, of decisions, etc. as well. I hope that's clear. Right. Okay, thank you. Maybe we'll get into that later. Uh, Naomi Fisher. Hey, I'm Naomi Fisher. I am a clinical psychologist and I'm also an author. I wrote a book called um, Changing Our Minds, How Children Can Take Control of Their Own Learning, in which I'm trying to really make the case that self-directed education makes sense well, from what we know about the psychology of children and developmental psychology. Uh, I'm the mother of two self-directed learners. They were home educated for six years and then they've been in two self-directed learning settings um, and they're cur we all currently live in Hove, so they're at the Self-Managed Learning College there. Mm. Where, where I used to work at the Self-Managed Learning College and Artemis is also in the process of helping set up a, a second one over in Bristol, which is wonderful. And Naomi's book, by the way, um, that she just mentioned, Changing Our Minds, I highly recommend it. I don't know if you can see this because of the weird background, but there's a forest of sticky labels sticking out of my copy because it, there's just so many like lines in there that you just think, oh my goodness, that's a killer line. And then there's just so many of them. I need to plant a tree to offset all the plastic sticky labels that I've been using. Um, oh, so you, I, I highly recommend that book to anyone who hasn't read it. And I know that a number of people on the call have read it, some of them more than once. Um, Aliyah. Hey everybody, I'm Aliyah. Um, I'm based in East London. I'm a very relieved post A-level student and founder of Pupil Power, which is a youth movement trying to reimagine education in the 21st century. I'm really interested in this idea, similarly to um to James. It's a really it's something new to me um, because I've been in like mainstream education that's sort of dumb to me. This concept of self-directed learning is really fascinating. And I just, yeah, I'm here to learn more and contribute. So, yeah, thank you for having me. Mm, absolute pleasure. Amelia. Hi, I'm Amelia Peterson. Um, I teach education policy at the LSE, um, the London School of Economics and Political Science. And um, I'm about to move to a new university called the London Interdisciplinary School. And I'm interested in the funding and indeed regulation of self-directed learning um, and how it can be grown. 
Yeah, thank you. And Amelia also, uh, while we're doing all the book plugs, uh, co-authored a fantastic book called Thrive, um, which is uh, she co-authored with Valerie Hannon, and it is absolutely brilliant as well. And I, I recently interviewed Amelia. She'll be on the uh, soon uh, to be appearing on the podcast. Um, really recommend that. So thank you, uh, Kate. Hi, I'm Kate McAllister. I'm in Dominican Republic. I used to work with James. We worked together for, I don't know, several years um, on the beginning of our self-directed learning journey. Um, and mine has continued and continued, and it's brought me all the way to Dominican Republic. And I have opened um, a self-directed learning space for world schooling families. So we have about 40 children who are coming together to do self-directed learning in the same space. Um, so I am really keen to learn from people who've been doing this for longer than I have. Um, I've read Naomi's book. It's an absolute gift. I'm recommending it to all of my families who are struggling with the beginnings of unschooling. Um, like James, my, I've, mine's on Kindle, but almost the entire book is highlighted with this blog, that blog, all of the things that I'm going to use. So thank you very much for writing that, Naomi. And Amelia's is next on my list. Um, so yeah, I'm really excited to have this conversation about self-directed learning with you all. Great, thank you. Uh, Lux. Hi, I'm Lux. I'm currently nine years old and I'm in um, the UK and um, I love acting and skateboarding and I'm really interested in having a voice in rethinking education and just sharing and learning with um, other young people and basically everyone. Yeah, thank you. And uh, I know you listened to the to the podcast. I just published a podcast with uh, Tom Sherrington and Adam Boxer. I know that you've listened to that, and your mum said that you had some uh, some thoughts that you'd like to share on that. So uh, maybe we'll get back, we'll get into that later. Uh, you're very welcome. And so Lux also is a self-directed learner. You haven't ever been to school, have you? No. Um, and Yumna. Hi, I'm Yumna. I'm 16 years old. I'm based in Inner City, Birmingham. Um, I'm elected youth MP for Birmingham and chair of my youth council. And I'm really interested in self-directed learning because I've been, I've been, you know, educating myself about the flaws in the education system and um, launching Resilience, which is a youth-led organisation um, with the mission of ele elevating key systems in humanity. Um, thank you, James, for um, inviting me um, here. Mm, absolute pleasure. And I learned through, through speaking with Yumna yesterday that she also has a book that she wrote in year eight, like you do, uh, which I bought on my Kindle. Uh, do you want to explain a little bit about that, Yumna? Yeah, so it's um, a book that I co-authored with my um, cousin. Um, it's called Struggles of War. It's available on Amazon. And my sec my portion um, of the book was about the war in Palestine through a child lens, exploring the psychological impacts that it has on a child and the resilience that they endure um, through going um, for a traumatic experience like that. My cousin's part of the book was um, similar, but it was set in Somalia. Um, and we merged um, the two together. And I, I found it like so interesting um, talking about something that I was passionate about um, through writing a book. 
Yeah, thank you. It looks fantastic. I've read the first few pages. It looks really engaging and, and, and important. Uh, you know, the, the writing about the lived experience of people living in, in war-torn places. Um, right, so with this being a self-directed theme, I feel like it's like I, I don't really want to ask too many questions. I want to just see what emerges. But I have a sort of a general theme, which is that, which is that um, you know, the, the, the way in which education is so often conflated with schooling. And I just want to sort of to, to tease those apart because people often, you know, like don't really think, you know, if you, if you say things like, you know, schools are a bad idea and shouldn't exist, you don't really hear that many people saying that these days. Um, but lots of people think it clearly because lots of people choose not to send their kids to school because they think that they're, they're, they're better off not going to school. So I'm interested just to hear what people's thoughts are on this. And anyone who wants to jump in first, please just raise your hand. Um, what are your thoughts on this? Like, do we do we even need schools? Is school a net good idea or a bad idea? I think school is sort of a bit of a bad idea. I mean, I guess it's like it is a nice place. I mean, we're not doing it right. It's a. It, I guess it's. I guess when someone first thought of school, they thought of a place where kids could go and learn and. Um, sort of <laughs> get prepared for for um what they need to know in life but um i also think that um it's gone it's taken the wrong road it's gone it's gone it's gone a bit of a different direction because um kids are being crammed into classrooms and just having it all shoved into them um like like if you like it's really not how kids should learn it should be playing outside and i was hearing something really um really sad from my mum um because she used to be a teacher um and um when she took her kids on her trip um they'd said they'd got this big green field all ready for play and they'd set up like a few skipping ropes and stuff and like um and and things and and she said right you're free go and play and you know what they all did they all went over to the corner and just cried because they didn't know how to play without being told how to play because all they had in school was just a bit of tarmac and a few and a few things to play on, like some like swings and a climbing frame, and that and so they'd been wrecked. They and they had they'd been brought up in the city. They hadn't been brought up in the countryside, and 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 it and it was so it was like and that is like permanent, and 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 most of them just went and cried in the corner, and like I mean a few other, a few people were brave and like went and um, played with the skipping ropes, but um. It was just really sad to hear that from um, from her. I think. Mm. Yeah. Thank you. Um, and if ever there was an advert for like not sending your kids to school, <laughs> I think it's locks because um, it's just it's wonderful to hear you sharing your thoughts so uh, so articulately. Um, yeah, that's really really powerful. Thank you, Naomi Clark. I think in terms of saying, do we need school? I think there needs to be a system in place for childcare to happen because of the way the system of, um, of work is in our country. So without changing all the systems on all the levels, we have to have a system in place that allows people to be able to work um, unless we go into something like having a universal living income um, so that everyone has a definite amount of money coming in, then they are able to make actual choices. I feel that a lot of people aren't able to make choices. They can't afford to make choices. It's not actually part of our society. So whilst I love the idea of saying, yeah, no, let's never have school again. Let's let everyone run free. It's not, it's not possible right now. Yeah, thank you. Let's go Artemis and then Rose. 
Uh, I'm so glad you brought that up, Naomi. One of my uh, one of the other projects that I work on is uh, UBI Lab Bristol campaigning for a universal basic income. And one of the things that I passionately believe is that that a universal basic income and self-directed education both support and also need each other. I had a really interesting conversation last year with someone who said um, they that they thought that the biggest problem with universal basic income was actually the potential mental health crisis from people not knowing what to do with their lives if they're so used to living it on rails and always being told what to do. And so self-directed education actually would provide the sort of the atmosphere for people who would thrive under a situation where we have universal basic income. Yeah, totally. I totally think that we need changes with our society so that anyone who doesn't want to send their kids to school or kids who don't want to school go to school don't have to. At the same time, I think a lot of people are happy with the system where the schools, and I don't think I want to say we have to tear them all down. At the same time, I really don't think what we have right now is working. When I started doing suitable education, I it had a fairly modest aim. It was just to show that home education makes sense, that it's rational. But like doing that website and pulling together all the research really politicised me in education. There is so much evidence and there is so much wrong with the system and so many children being hurt with it by it. And I kind of hope that, so I feel we do need schools because society demands it, but that doesn't mean that schools have to be a place where there's no voice for young people, where they're just told what to do. And I love the idea that self-directed learning, it can show that young people and children do not have to have everything dictated to them. So there's kind of learning to, to be taken from that. Yeah. Thank you. Well, I can completely agree with that. I mean, like, if you look at cartoons and stuff like Corrid Henry, he just want to knock down school because they hate school and people and and just people and kids absolutely hate school. And like, you wake up every morning and just go, oh, I'm going to go to school. But, um, and that's something, and that is that, and that is, and that's because of the way that, um, people have made school and school is at the moment. Like, it's a, it's just a, it's just a classroom where, um, where kids just sit there absolutely bored to tears. As, and um and the teachers just try and stuff things into their heads and they just get so bored and so sad and it's not it's not the way that um school should be like i completely agree with what rose was saying like it's it let's just not knock down school and just say no school but the current system is not working like a lot of kids are absolutely just really hate school like really deeply so like we have to change it soon otherwise it's otherwise it's gonna otherwise it's really gonna affect the future quite a lot. I completely agree with you, Lox. And I I would just say I don't think when I like think about my response to that question, I don't think it's a all or nothing. In my in my eyes, why can't we reflect and imagine a system that can actually incorporate both cultures? Because actually, from someone that's been in mainstream education, that's feels like I've had education done to me and it's been quite passive. There are elements in there, I might have to think long and hard about it, but there are elements in there that I, I, I can say we can pull, pull from and that are really valuable um, to young people. Maybe not many, but there definitely are. And when I hear about, you know, um, Phoenix Education, for example, when I got involved in the Change Makers Lab last year, 
that idea of self-directed learning was so unfamiliar to me that it almost sounded like I almost had to kind of laugh as a reaction because I was like that exists like what um and so it was it's I think for a lot a lot of young people um especially those that are around me they would agree it's really unfamiliar and it seems like something that's in another planet entirely and so when you actually start to become familiar with it and actually understand the impact that it's having on young people and their learning and this idea of how yeah you can actually be trusted to be a learner and I think that's a massive element of it like we're not I don't feel like we're trusted as learners in in school um as much as young people like Locks, as he's self-directed to trust I remember the last the first time I met Locks, he said that on the Saturday morning he was doing maths um you know that they wouldn't normally like my teachers probably would wouldn't expect that from us so that it's a lot about like a culture shift and I think there's a lot we can take from self-directed learning and hopefully put into mainstream education and that system of of learning yeah I think Elias posed exactly the right question there about what are the elements of school that we might want to to take as as Locke put it like if we see schools as having taken a, a, di- a wrong path um if one were to try to sort of get them back onto a different track um it perhaps you know by growing more self-directed learning within them um, what would be the roles that we still would want schools to play? Naomi mentioned childcare. I think, yeah, even, even with more provision for people to be able to have more choice or choices around work, there still would be people who who would want their, their children to be sort of in a place taken care of, but also their learning taken care of. Um, and so, yeah, the question is then, what are the, what are the other aspects of the sort of being in a community that one might want schools still to, to do? Thank you. Naomi Fisher. Hi, yes. I was so many interesting thoughts here. Um, I was thinking that I'm somebody who feels I need somewhere where my children go, which isn't home, home education. And that's kind of why my children are at a self-directed learning setting now. Um, And I think we will always have the need for places so that, that parents aren't all don't always have to be with children particularly when they're younger because it depends very much on the community that you're in on the connections you have as to whether you've got the support that you need for that I mean for us it was interesting we went to France where the children went to a self-directed learning school there but suddenly we had no contact no connections no friends no family nothing and that was quite a shock to the system for us in terms of right wow it it really is it's just us (laughs) and uh, you know it's hard to make those connections and I think we need places where children can go so they can make those connections even if their parents don't necessarily I don't think I don't think I think we need a place where children can go where they can make connections with other children and other adults which aren't entirely dependent on their parents capacity to do that for them because I think that's that's why I know what it's like to be in a country where you don't speak the language as well and you're trying to make those connections. It's hard to do. And I think we need to help children and we need to provide those opportunities for children that need to be outside their family if they want them. But that's, to me, the really key thing, that it needs to be places where people can go if they want to. We've found um, one of the things that we found at The Hive um, which is like an alternative environment to school. Children come together and they learn, but a lot of the things that we associate negatively with school, we don't have. And one of the really interesting findings for me is the journey that the parents have been on. So they came for their children and they've noticed how much has changed for them to be in a community of like-minded parents, to, to be able to have these conversations about 
the journey from traditional education to unschooling and self-directed learning or whether they've always worked in that way to have that kind of sense sense of being held and being welcomed and that somewhere that you can think through your ideas that you can talk through parenting and learning and self-direction and all of those things because they it's tricky we're we're we've grown up in a society where schooling is supposedly the right thing to do and when you choose not to do that you're choosing to do the wrong thing and why would anyone choose deliberately to do the wrong thing for their children so it is important to have community I think sometimes if you're homeschooling I I know that there's lots of collectives and co-ops and there are these small groups and they're really really important Um, and that's something that traditional schools don't always get right that sense of community for the parents as well, where they can talk about their children's education and support one another, isn't really there. I think it is more there in the self-directed learning community than it is in the traditional learning community. So that's something that we could for sure change. One of the reasons why I set up the garden was because um, I came interested in home education when my eldest was very small and I loved the home education community for so many reasons. Um, but what I found was, is that I was, I was doing a lot of driving, which I didn't like very much. I was going to a lot of different activities. I was meeting lots of people, but we didn't have this solid sense of community. And what I found was that if there were disagreements in the community, if there was, there was just a schism. People would say, well, I'm not going to see those people. We're just going to avoid them and go to other activities. And because we live in a, a city with lots of home ed, that was perfectly possible. You could just avoid them and go to different activities. Um, when I thought, well, actually, surely for a community, we should be trying to find a way to work together and work things out. And, and that's 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 the best modelling that we could do for our for our children. And um, and also, I didn't want my children just to be doing activities. I wanted them to have free time with other young people to work on their own projects, not projects that were just the things that were offered. I wanted a space where they had a solid community that was an ongoing community where they could spend time together and form their own things. I kind of feel it's... Yeah, it's really important to me as well that we don't pick home education versus schools in a way. Like, I don't think every parent who has a child has to want to, you know, to do everything and to be a home educator. And that's not the only way to be a brilliant parent. And it it builds about choice and also at different ages. Like, my child is seven at the moment. And home education really works perfectly for us. And it's what how she wants to do it. But I can't imagine as a teenager that being quite, quite so working quite the same way. I don't know. But I just feel like we do need schools. We do need different options. We need collectives. We need, and all of this, all of this is okay. And it's, it's all, it all needs to be supported I don't think everyone should be a home educator. That's definitely not what I'm arguing as a home educator. Yeah, thank you. Uh, Did you want to come in, Yumna? Yeah, I was going to say that I don't think that um, it should be, like um, Will said, mainstream versus like home ed. I think that if there's, there just needs to be different options and different alternatives to school. Um, whether that's implementing or integrating programs within our mainstream traditional education system that allows young people to have a voice, that allows them to follow their own passion projects 
um, and be more confident in themselves or whether that's um, a completely alternative to school that is completely self-directed. Um, and I don't believe that self-directed learning for every young person works. For example, um, a neurodiverse um, young person may feel that a day that's unstructured um, makes them you know, feel more anxious or more nervous, um, whereas they would benefit more of having a few structured activities in their day or um, having some sort of structure within their day. So I, I think that I'm not an educationalist, but I'm not gonna I'm not gonna sit here and critique different learning methods and um you know models, but I do think that there needs to be an alternative because the current education system isn't working. Um and instead it's forcing young people, um, forcing their own choices um and decisions to be sort of puppeteered by the outside world and it's causing young people um to define themselves based on society's expectations um and ideals. Um, and it affects it affects their reality, it affects our principles um, and our values. And the one size approach to education isn't working because make students believe that there's only one way to success. Um, and there really isn't, you know, success isn't quantifiable um, only by an individual's distinct set of values and their own ambitions and their dreams. So, yeah, I'm not saying that tra traditional education is totally bad. There are aspects that we can take. Um, like Elia say, obey the small, um, you know, things that I really do like about the schooling system, sorry. But there are some things that we can learn and that we need to work in a systemic approach where we're including the views of parents, of teachers, of senior leadership, of um, different young people, of everyone, so that we're able to have it to work more as a collective rather than um, being separate in our um, ambitions and our aims. I think we also need to think strongly about the uh, privilege that's involved in being able to home educate. Um, when we look at sort of uh, intersectionality, the more areas of disadvantage people have, the less likely they are to be able to make that choice for their family. Um, there are a lot of people that I'm sure would love to be able to home educate their children, um, but just feel completely unable to do so for various reasons. And we need to start looking at how this can be funded. There is money out there for every child. There should be money out there for every single child. When we look at um, disabled children in particular, of which I have two of them, if they were to be put in a school system, there would be lots and lots of money put into their specific needs. Even if they weren't met, the money is still there. Um, those, are, those are not transferable to home education settings. And I want to know why. You know, what, Where is that money going? What is it being used for? Why can we not access funding for each individual child the same way we would in school if you choose not to use school? Yeah, yeah. Well, I completely agree with that, actually, because um, I completely agree with that, uh, um, with um, with what Naomi just said, because there are a lot of um, parents out there that would love to home educate their kids, but, you know, they've got work. And luckily, my mum doesn't work because she's got to take care of four boys at home. And, um, and but there are a lot of parents out there who would love to home educate their kids, uh, but they just can't because they haven't got that ability, and um, and they struggle quite a lot in the in the current system. So they just sort of they're sort of just forced to do it. And there was a woman who decided not to send her kids to school on a day, and she went to court, which I think is a bit harsh. So like, if you decide never to send your kids to school and you don't even start it in the first place, then. Um, then um then you won't go to court but like if you decide to do it while your kids have already like 
in there first have already been doing it for like a reasonable time then you'll then you'll go to court like i think that is a bit harsh and also um and it's like and, and it's really not how things should go and and um she kept them at home and i think that's not how the the current system should go so um yeah we do need to find a solution to um to that and to find out how how um how a lot of parents can give they can um can figure out how to home educate their kids yeah thank you i think there have definitely been cases where parents have been sent to prison for for non-attendance of their children which is, it's difficult to see how that's going to help, isn't it? Um, I just want to say a quick hello to Asma, who's just joined us. Hello. Morning. Hi, everyone. It's Asma. Hi. Um, sorry for taking so long, but I'm finally here now. And Not thank so. you for all the hellos. <laughs> so I'll just let you um, sort of just like tune in for a bit. Um, if they, we, we, um, maybe we'll come back to you in a little while because there's lots of people on the call, obviously. Um, many of them are, are home educators of parents. So, so there's, a, there's a sort of a general theme of self-directed learning uh, in, this, in this conversation. So I'll let you just sort of just soak it in for a bit and then we'll come to you in a little while, if that's okay. Um, okay, um, so should we go to Naomi Fisher? Is your hand up? I think Alia was before me. Oh, thank you, Alia. Oh, I thought you were first, but I don't mind <laughs> going. I just wanted to quickly um, chime in. I think what um, Rose and Lots was both saying made me really think about lockdown and the experiences that we were having there. Um, what I'm getting from this is that we could also, like a, an alternative could be this sort of like hybrid system of where we have that choice of doing both and intertwining both. I think that would be really, really cool. Again, what Rose said about different stages and different ages is so important because actually maybe at some point that would have worked really well for me as a teenager. I think actually being in that school setting was perfect for me. So I actually really um, agree with that point. And lockdown was a time where actually it was sort of forced on parents where they didn't really have the choice. Um, and they were having to, especially for younger years, self-educate and direct their children's learning. And, and a lot of parents have now probably coming out of lockdown decided that that's the way forward. And a lot of parents probably said, no, you know, sending my children to school works best for me. So my question is, how do we how can we incorporate both? And something that I definitely loved as a, as a student in the system was the autonomy that I got over my day. So actually having lessons recorded online and being able to all of a sudden have this like so much time on my hands to lead social action projects and actually engage in current affairs and things that were going on outside of school was really, was really beneficial to me. And it just highlighted, there was a stark contrast between the amount of time that I had when I was in school versus that I had when I was outside of school. And if, if anything, I had more work to be doing when I was at home um, during lockdown and the pressure was 10 times more there. Um, I just think we're so restricted when we're in the building and have that sort of like schedule sort of like push down our throats. That's what it feels like. And locks always reminds me of the image of us just being crammed into a classroom and have, you know, have an education done to us. So yeah, my question is, how do we create this like hybrid system and change the culture where we're at, we're allowed to have choice and it shouldn't, you know, you shouldn't be made to feel ashamed for one day deciding that it's not working for you. Thank you. Let's go, uh, uh, Naomi, and then James. Yeah, Alia, I'm so glad you spoke first because you've just perfectly led on to what I was thinking, which is this thing about autonomy, because it, it occurred to me that we haven't really defined what we mean by self-directed education. We're all talking about it and we possibly all mean something different. Um, because for me, what's important about 
self-directed education is who is making the choices. That's basically it. The autonomy, the, the learner, if the learner is making choices about what they do, and if the learner can choose to stop what they're doing when they want to, then I would define it as self-directed. So I would say that my when I've cho- if I choose to go and do a formal class, I would see myself as a self-directed learner there because nobody has said to me, you've got to do this class, you've got to do this exam. And so I would think that if there's, I haven't got a problem with how traditional schools work in terms of learning. If people want to do that, that's fine. What I do have a problem with is saying, this is how you learn. You have to do it this way. There are no other options. And if you can't do it, you're a failure because that's how lots of young people feel in the system. Um, and so, and look, people learn in so many different ways, but what we know from the research, from the psychological research, is that the thing that makes such a big difference to how you feel about what you're doing is whether you feel in control or not. And we know that for everything. We know that's what helps your mental health. It, you know, If you feel you're the person who's making choices, you feel differently about what you're doing, even if you're sitting in what looks like a really traditional maths class. If you're doing it because you want to do it, it's great if you're doing it because someone's made you do it, then it's torture, but it's the same class. And of course, in a traditional school, you'd have might have people sitting next to each other who are apparently doing the same thing, but they feel completely differently about what they're doing. Um, and I think that's why we have to have a system which has diversity of options, which young people can choose, their parents can choose at different times in their lives, and where there's no shame in saying, you know what, this really doesn't work for me, this system, and this one does, so I'm going to try this. Because actually, you can feel like this about anything. I, I always I talk in my book about, about a little boy, actually, whose parents sent him to a lovely alternative small school, which was all outside. And the idea was that you spent as much of you know, their ethos was playing outdoors in the forest fun wonderful hours and hours and a bit like um can't remember who it was who was saying that anyway for this little boy it was basically his worst nightmare because it was unstructured play in the forest he didn't know when it was going to end he couldn't tell the time yet he just wanted to be somewhere where he felt safe and where he could do his own stuff (laughs) but according to someone else that was freedom and self-direction but actually for him it was something different so that's why I think we have to put learners at the center of the choices I'll stop talking now. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you. That's such a such an important point. Now let's go to James. Yeah, Naomi just sort of started talking about what I was thinking about the same thing, that school choice at the moment seems to be which academy do you want to send your child to? Or the other choice is homeschool, or it's very one thing or the other thing or the other thing. But I'd love to see something where you could sit as a family and choose, all right, well, Mondays, you could do that in the afternoon and go to that school and do that. And then on Tuesday, you could stay at home. And on Wednesday evening, you could do this. You could do an apprenticeship on Thursday and all the myriad things you could do in a town, in anywhere. But it seems to be so limited at the moment. You have to do one thing or the other. Um, and I think that would be something really amazing to see that it's just everything's cracked open and then you can use all different aspects of, of the place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just continuing on that, I mean, I think this point about school choice is so important because often the debates about school choice, it becomes this thing of choice sort of undermines state education sectors. It's often seen as something that kind of is a supported a lot on the kind of by right wing parties. And what Naomi was proposing about, Naomi Clark was proposing about, you know, parents having more control over the money that is spent on their children um, would be 
thought of from a policy perspective as like a voucher system, which again is often portrayed as something that sort of undermines state education. So I think there has to be a way to paint a different picture of what would the transition look like from something where there's sort of only that version of choice as you get to kind of shop around for your version of what's going to get your kids a fixed set of results to something that is more about like multiple kind of plural different visions of what learning and education can look like. And also that if there's sort of money being taken away from traditional schools, that really all that matters there is the the livelihoods of the teachers in that system. So sort of our teachers also being a given given a choice about what kind of setting they're teaching in. So it's not so much about you know, state education is is just an institution. It's just the people within it. So as long as the people have somewhere to go, um, which hopefully, you know, for many within the state sector, there will be better matches in different kinds of environments. Um, I think that starts to sort of dismantle that argument that that choice is always just something something bad that kind of undermines state education. Yeah. Did you want to come in there, Kate? I, well, yes, I did, but Amelia said lots of the things that I was thinking. Um, and I, I, we're not very practised at being flexible, I feel. We're not very good at trying different things on for size and evaluating whether or not they work for us. And, and you can do that, and it's okay. And I was thinking about what James was saying about, so I've been sort of re, reimagining education as a patchwork rather than ladders. So if you if you think about everything that you learn in a lifetime as a patchwork quilt, every conversation you've ever had, every class you've ever been to, every book you've ever read, every independent thought you've ever had, and how they shaped who you are and what you know how to do and what you know, <clears throat> it doesn't matter what order you put them together in. And you can kind of make your own pathways through that make sense to you. So when you go for a job interview, you pick and mix the pieces of information that make sense for that job. When you walk into a dinner party, you pick and mix the anecdotes that you're going to tell that make sense to that social context. We could do that. <clears throat> we could organize education and, and learning experiences and schools in a similar way if we weren't so terrified of what might happen if we gave people choice. because. In my experience, people are quite good at knowing what they need. Once, they, once they're, they're told they can meet their own needs, recognize what your needs are, and then figure out how to meet your own needs. People are quite good at that. Um, and the more we do that with children, the better they, and the, just the, the more adept they become at meeting their own needs. They know what kind of, they know whether they want to go to a, to a, a traditional type of classroom so that someone can chalk and talk at them because they want to learn a particular thing or they want to go off and discover and figure it out by themselves. Even though they know there's a book that they could read that has the answers, they want to figure it out by themselves. And it's not an either or thing. Life is a patchwork of different ways of learning things. And I think that we could do that on a much grander scale if, if we trusted that the wheels wouldn't fall off and that people wouldn't go uneducated. Um, and that's a fear thing. Thank you. Um, yeah, I mean, I'd like to I'd like to open up this question of self-directed learning within schools. Um, before we go there, I just wonder, with like, Asma, have you got any thoughts on the on uh, what you've been hearing so far? 
Yeah, I mean, I've been hearing loads of great things that I really like getting my the cogs in my brain whirling about my experiences with education, specifically what Kate said about how we should approach it with a patchwork, in a patchwork approach. But I think students and teachers, in my experience, students and teachers are willing for that flexibility and are willing to try something new. But those where there's obstacles and where there's restrictions, I think it comes from the top, from senior staff, from government um, imposed curriculums and things like that. So I think in my experience, there is a general consensus that the things do have to change and the way we approach education shouldn't be linear, but it should be, like Kate mentioned, in a patchwork way where we look at things in relation to each other rather than in compartmentalized, rather than subjects or education in compartmentalized groups. But my frustrations with that is that the people who have those, the people in those in, in institutions who have the power to sort of start things from the top down are really hesitant in doing that because if you if you allow people to learn what they want to learn, that's inherently a challenge of authority in itself. So I think these, these um, conversations really inspire me and really inspire me and really excite me. But in the back of my mind, there's always that niggling thing that like, in what can we do in our power? That's my question for today. Like, what can we do in our power to, to implement these things that everyone's been talking about today? Mm, yeah, thank you. Yeah, so so let's open this this question of like of self-directed learning within schools. And I'll start with a provocation, if I may, because because this came up in a recent conversation that I published yesterday on the podcast, conversation that I had with with Tom Sherrington and Adam Boxer, who are both quite traditionalist thinkers. Um, and I was talking to them about a previous campfire conversation and how uh, some of the young people, I think it was Lottie and some other people had said, like, it would be nice to have a little bit of time at the start of a lesson, for example, just to sort of to catch your breath. And, and I know that Kate does a lot of work around this, around sort of self-regulation and just uh, adjusting from being, you know, like bounced around from classroom to classroom. Um, and their response to that, I think Adam's response to it was that, that like, if, even though young people might say that, they don't always know what's good for them and that they don't always make good choices and you could expand that more widely to self-directed learning and I know that this came up in a previous conversation that we had Yumna that you were saying like if you would like there to be more opportunities for self-directed learning within schools because then you could learn about you know your passion projects but I suppose a counter argument would be that that while some some young people might do that other young people might make choices that uh, that aren't so good for them, you know, and, and, and Adam equated it to like being in the, the canteen at his school. They just have a, a healthy choice and then another healthy choice and chips is not an option because, you know, if you only have, you know, if you take the choice away from young people, then you can help them to make more healthy decisions. That's that's the provocation. And I know that lots of you will have things to say about this. So um, let's go Artemis and then we'll just follow the hands up. So I did a PGCE um, last year, last year, year before. I finished the PGCE last year. And what really struck me about the experience of being in a mainstream school, which I haven't, hadn't been before then for about 30 years, was uh, how, how tightly controlled, not just the learning, but every, every moment of a young person's day was controlled. And it was so striking because actually that was quite different from my experience of school. We didn't even have a curriculum when I was when I was in primary school. Um, and I think that is very much about fear. It's very much about control. And I think in a way, schools have become training grounds to get young people to accept authoritarianism. And I think our movement is deeply political, deeply, deeply political. 
I, I think what I've, what these when people speak from this fear, I think it really comes from this place of whether you fundamentally have a faith in humanity or you don't. Like, and I do have a faith in humanity to do the right things and make good choices, even if we make mistakes along the way. And there's this great quote about it's better to uh, to own your mistakes than succeed on someone else's terms. And I think if we're looking at the long term, it's better to make those mistakes early on and find out what isn't good for you yourself. So you really know it other than to be told and just live your whole life on rails, not really knowing who you are or what you really want. Yeah, we encourage um, the children here to self-experiment. I don't know, what does it feel like if you eat your biscuit before you eat your lunch? What does it feel like if you just don't join in with this project? What does it feel like when you do? Um, what's the difference? And it's all permitted and it's all transparent and it's all talked about. and the agency is there. And I have found over the last 10 or so years that I've been doing this in different contexts, that it doesn't take long for children to be able to regulate themselves better, to make informed choices about what feels right for them and when. They can recognize their own needs and they can go and do something about meeting them. Um, and we make judgments, grown-ups make judgments all the time. We're so judgy of children. Um, and we don't ask them what they're getting out of it. Like, what are you getting out of playing Minecraft for four hours straight? What are you getting out of sitting in the corner and just watching? What is it doing for you? What, like, what are you learning from that experience? And the answers are generally enlightening. Um, they're meeting a need by doing those things. And then you can have bigger conversations about other options and other choices. I don't know, I, I think we can trust more than we do. I think we should trust more than we do. And if we, if we introduce this into mainstream schooling younger, um, we would have that trust because we would know that they are able to, to make these decisions by themselves. And then the kids who struggle, who are more dysregulated than others, we can spend longer with. We can allow the children who are able to self-direct confidently to just go and lead their own path. And the children who need more conversations and somebody to walk beside them for longer, we have the capacity to do that. Yeah, absolutely. What a lot of what I was going to say has already been said. Uh, really great points that have been made. Um, however, there's a there's a film. I don't know if anyone's seen it here. It's by Wandering School. It's called School Circles, and it's looking at democratic schools in. Uh, I think they're in Holland actually, and looking at the way those schools run. So a lot of them are actually state democratic schools on there. Um, in Holland, they have a, a different system to here. I think it changed quite recently, though. It used to be much more similar to here, and they um, actually allow some schools to have democratic um, governance. So the students are involved in all levels of the school and making decisions about what um, affects them in their day-to-day -day lives and in their educations. 
And if you ever get a chance to watch it, I really urge you to do so. Um, you'll see just the how amazing the, the young people are at making choices that affect them. It's not, it's not a problem, and I don't understand why it's ever been made to look like one. Because young people, even there are some children on there that are even five, six years old, that they, they have a facilitator in the group with them um, to sort of ask them questions or see what their opinions are, et cetera, and to sort of hold the group, shall we say. But they are able to make very, very, um, very, very complex decisions and uh, work things out within their group to um, really affect change in their in their spaces. And I just don't understand why the um, the trust is not there. Well, I kind of do. It's it's um, it's not there because we don't want people to have that trust and and to have that level of responsibility because if they do what could they do you know where's the limit to it, i suppose but i mean even the young people we have there have here the ones you know you guys have been to school for instance and still you've come out of it with such a high level of clarity in the way that you want things to be for other young people and imagine the heights you could have reached if you hadn't been having to push yourself through the system that hadn't worked for you so I do believe there is a there is a possible way to make a balance within um, allowing young people to have a say directly in the things that influence them and cause issues for them every day. It doesn't need to be that everything is decided by adults. It doesn't need to be that everything is decided by children either. It can just be a system where all people's views are taken into account. But this this needs to be something that is um, seen as a positive by systems that put money into it basically we need to be able to make these things possible yeah thank you and there's an interesting comment that just came through on the facebook feed from ellie costello who said that it's fair to say that healthy choices can be difficult for young people and particularly young children um and but it's on the adults to help inform and guide them in making good decisions not coercion and control which i think is a nice way of resolving that tension uh naomi f yeah, I suppose that, that relates nicely to what I was going to say, which is that I see learning how to make choices and decisions as part of the work of childhood, part of education. And I think if you take that away from somebody and you say, I'm going to make these choices for you because I don't trust you to make them for yourself and I don't think you'll make good choices, then you take away that opportunity to learn how to do it. And I think I saw that quite clearly, I think, in my own peers growing up, that we all went through the system. I was a success of the school system. And we got to university and lots of people fell apart because suddenly we did have to make these choices for ourselves. Nobody was making us go to things. Nobody was organising our day. Nobody was making sure we made good choices, quotes. And so many of us didn't. And personally, for my children, I would rather that they have the, cho the chance to make poor choices, less healthy choices, whatever choices as children, when actually the consequences are far less severe. You know, it is a protected time childhood. It's where actually the consequences of your whatever decision it is are relatively mild compared to how they are when you're in your early 20s. And that's, I, th I think we are taking away the opportunity for children to learn these things. And the way I would think about it as a psychologist is our executive functioning. I think it's, you might think about it as metacognition, James, I'm not sure. But I think about the prefrontal part of our brain where we're learning how to think about our thinking and how to make choices for ourselves and problem solve for ourselves. And every time we just say to somebody, you know what, I'm going to make that decision for you. I'm going to make you do that we take away that opportunity to practice that really crucial skill. And I'm 
think I just think the whole thing of they will make the wrong choices is seriously misguided because that's part of learning. We have to have that freedom to make choices that other people might not want them to make. I have that now. And I know that if I'm forced to make a choice, even if I know it's the good choice, I feel bad about it. I feel resentful about it. I want to know I'm choosing that. And I, why would we assume that our children are any different? Again, just every everybody's points are like it just is I'm agreeing with so much that have been said. Um a quick story, um, an anecdote that I thought of like straight away was when I was in year eleven and I had um a senior member of staff who I actually did have a, a great relationship with pull me to the side and was like, Demelia, um, this is really unrelated, but we had to check the CCTV cameras because of an incident that happened at lunchtime. And I couldn't help but notice you do a roly poly on the floor, like at lunchtime, just, just put it out there, by your lockers. That's really unacceptable behavior as somebody that's going to apply for head girl. And I would just definitely recommend you don't do that because people look at you and, you know, it's not a great role. You're not a great role model for, for doing that. And I honestly, I remember coming home and having to laugh to my mum because I, I thought, I'm literally 16 years old, <laughs> enjoying my lunchtime. Maybe rolling, like rolling on the floor, wasn't you know the best. But why? Why is that? Is it? I, should, I, I think it should be something that I should be doing if I if I want to do it. Um, and so the reason why that made me laugh is because I'm just I was a child enjoying my lunchtime, having fun in my free the only bit of free time that I that I got. Um, and already that was already being told that it was seen as wrong. Um, and that's just something like really small that I could I, I could think of. And I'm sure there's so many other moments. Um, the other day I was doing a, an event for Tortoise and the event was focused around the, the purpose of education. And I actually Googled like what definition we have for education. And the second thing that came up was an enlightening experience. That is not the reality that we're getting right now. That's not my personal reality of like being in the system for over a decade. That is far from it. When we talk about what makes up school when we look at CCTV, zero tolerance policies, detentions, rules, like all those things are not the recipe for an enlightening experience for young people. What is, is making, you know, what we spoke about. I watched the circle um, of the school, like that to me, having that in school would be amazing. Being essentially seen as an equal and power distributed to young people as well as teachers. We're not saying as young people, we want all the power, adults don't speak it's about having that trust and building those relationships and I've seen it personally in elements within my school experience and I feel like other schools can definitely pick that up and again like I talked talked about earlier having that hybrid system of where we have both and we're drawing upon what really works um for for young people like Locks in you know when he's able to have self-directed learning so I just yeah that that just really sticks in my mind and I just really want to draw a point a point before when we spoke about what we can actually do practically in schools now, because I think after this conversation, people listening, I don't really, although they could be agreeing with us, I don't think they're going to tomorrow or even today say, all right, let, let me self-direct my, my child. I think we're still going to be in our old ways. And so how can we, how can we adapt? How can we actually include those alternative methods and elements that we really, really like? And that just starts in the classroom. You see it. Some teachers would say, what do you want to do today? Or how do you give us options even? Should, do you, would you prefer me to um, talk you through this or would you like to do it independently? Just having those options that I actually got to see in year 13 at the end, like when we meant to have study leave, I was able to come into school and do study if I wanted to or actually stay at home. Like those little things there can happen like now. It's just a matter of, do you want it to happen? Um, and if not, why? And the consequences definitely outweigh um, 
in the long term, if we look at the patchwork and not seeing, you know, school as a ladder, if you if you make mistakes now and it it costs you an extra year of staying in school, then so be it. Why is that a negative thing? Yeah, thank you. Let's go Asima and then James and then Rose. Uh, thank you. So Aaliyah, the image of you doing a roly-poly by the locker really made my day. <laughs> but yeah, I just wanted to add on to this, this thing about choice because there is an irony in our education system for throughout secondary throughout primary no throughout secondary school, we're not given the choice to you know study what we want, read um study texts in class. We don't get a choice of like who's our head teacher. It's always everything's imposed on us maybe we do have leverage with what GCSEs we pick but I think that's as far as it goes in terms of our choice and then we turn 18 and we're expected to know what university we want to go to know what we want to do when we leave school we want we're expected to make all of these life-changing choices all of a sudden having had a school experience where everything has been food sped, um, spoon-fed to us and prescribed to us and I think that irony uh, that tension is really why by the time it comes to like the September of year 13, a lot of students are, are stressed and confused because they don't, they don't have a clear idea of what choices they should make because they haven't had that practice of, of making their own choices without, without anyone sort of forcefully guiding them through specific decisions. So I think it would be allowing students to have, the earlier we allow students to make their own choices about everything, in schools, the more prepared they will feel um, for that transition into adulthood where choices have much more deeper consequences. Um, I was gonna talk about the, the original um, provocation about the, the secondary teachers in a mainstream school, right? And if you've got 30 young people in front of you who have gone through years of being told exactly what to do, and then you just release the valve and say, well, you can do what you want now. They're probably not going to go, actually, do you know what? I really want to study uh, Latin, so I'm going to go and do that. They're going to they're going to choose Minecraft if it's there. They're going to choose to sit on a phone if they've got the choice because they've not been supported to do anything else. But I think if you have time, it will, it will steadily go. I've never been homeschooled and um, I've not been a part of it. But I imagine the whole de-schooling thing that Naomi talks about in her book, it takes time. But then you start to find yourself on what you want to do. Just five minutes on it in a day, you're not going to have some miracle where all the kids are going to go, yeah, 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 they do something you want them to do. And plus with mainstream schools, it's all about efficiency, isn't it? You need to get every minute out of that lesson to increase your grades at the end of the day. Um, so yeah, competition and efficiency doesn't really lend to uh, self-directed making good choices. And I think uh, I saw Alfie Cohn say recently, like, the way you get good at making choices is by making choices. You can't get good at football by sat on your ass having someone talk to you about football. You have to go out and try and play it. You know, you have to do the things. So yeah, uh, that was just my teacher perspective from uh, someone who's been in the in the classroom quite a lot. Thank you. Let's go, Rose, and then Amelia. Yeah, so I was thinking this question about how do we make self-directed learning work in schools and what Aaliyah was saying about how do we create that system. And if you think about it, we are so, we're so far away from it because even schools are not able to decide what they want to do. In your interview, James, with Tom Sherrington, he was quite passionate and emotional about the effect of Ofsted and the effect of accountability and how much that 
hurts teachers being measured in that way. And there was this really interesting point where you made the point that that's how children feel, but it's, it's, I almost feel like to get anywhere near where self-directed learning could be possible in schools, what we first need to demand is the end to accountability for schools, that schools are allowed to operate in a way which they can look at students as individuals because when they're being measured against like league tables and when they're being, you know, they, it's so much data that they're meant to submit and they are measured in every single thing. And it just doesn't seem possible for self-directed learning to happen in that. And it's almost like we all need to get behind freeing the schools from that and say, no, we need, we need to trust teachers. We need to trust schools. We need you know, if a school has a problem, I think it was the um, National um, Education Union that said, how about this really radical idea that we get peers together of head teachers to like help each other come up with solutions? And that's so far away from this like hitting one school against another. And I think we need that because then schools can think, what does this student need? And it kind of all feels like that would set everything free and then we could start to talk about how we do this and and so on kind of need an end to saying it's okay to measure everything because it's not yeah maybe on that there are definitely models more of kind of professional accountability that would be more about schools talking to each other and there's a sort of informal accountability that just comes from talking to somebody else about what you're doing you know I, I really think most people in education really want to do a good job um and and there could be a lot more a lot more flexibility with those models I also just wanted to pick up on what James was saying about that the difficulty is of that transition from going from having had no choices and what Asma was describing as well having had no choices to then suddenly being asked to have choices and just share a really practical thing from um, developed by some schools in British Columbia uh, in, in Canada, where there is a lot more emphasis on kind of self-regulation within the school system. And they, one district developed something called the decision playbook, which is basically just like a, a kind of process and lots of thinking about how to make good decisions to sort of make it a bit more of a formalized thing, make it feel a little bit more like something that you'd be used to seeing happen in schools. But really it's about young people having more, more autonomy and children and they use it you know, right from very young age groups. And I wonder if there is a way in talking about kind of decision-making as opposed to, I mean, choice is wonderful, but, but framing it more as decision-making, I think helps get that idea across that this isn't about just sort of letting people lose to do whatever but really about supporting them to think about and reflect on um what what they might want um and and i think that maybe helps to sort of position it as something that people could understand a bit more how that could fit into a kind of formal school system yeah thank you let's go artemis and then kate and then i'd really like to hear from from yumna and lots because i know that you've thought about this a lot in the past as well uh, so I just wanted to pick up on the point about teachers in schools and, and because I really think that schools are at least as harmful for the adults in schools as they are for the young people. And what I've seen is that when I was in when I was working in schools is that everyone was just scared all the time of so many things. They were scared of the senior leadership team. They were scared of Ofsted. They were scared of not getting all their work done. They were scared of like their class not performing how they should because they're because now teachers 
pay is linked to performance as well. You know, that puts extra pressure on them to, to put pressure on the young people as well. It's so harmful for absolutely everybody. And even to the extent where the, the teacher trainers were also scared of Ofsted because they are also, you know, held up to accountability. And they were kind of, I had lecturers privately agreeing with me, but saying, but I can't say this in a lecture because, you know, Ofsted are very prescriptive about how we do teacher training, which is wild. So yeah, like I think in terms of making in a, being democratic within a school setting, um, there were things that I did do when I could find a way to squeeze it in. So if you know that you have to you have to meet certain outcomes, what you can do is you can you can say right to the class, right, this is what we are supposed to be learning this day week term. How would you like to do it? How would you design how we do this? And so it's not complete freedom, but it is a little bit more freedom and autonomy than you have. And just involving them in all the decisions that they can be involved in within the parameters that you are given, even that just gives so much more agency and autonomy. I think that make, that can make a huge difference. So even within the system as it is now, I think teachers have enormous power. If they can, if they're well supported as well, they can make a huge difference. Yeah. I agree. Um, I was going to pick up on on something that James said earlier um, about when you give give over the choice and you're worried that they're going to choose to learn something that's not going to get them to the to where they need to be. Um, and so, until we until we remove that end goal, the finishing line, until we change that finishing line then handing over the responsibility to children to get themselves there effectively would does feel terrifying because we are going to make them sit GCSEs or the International Baccalaureate or whatever the equivalent is, that final examination. And if we're truly allowing them to be self-directed in their learning, they might just go off and do something that's not on the syllabus. So one, what what James and I were doing 10 years ago was allowing space in the bottom half of the school for self-directed learning. We carved out some space and we practiced decision-making and we practiced self-directed learning and some projects were more successful than others. And we talked about the processes of learning. If you want to memorize something, what's the best way to memorize something? Why do you need to memorize things? Why is that a helpful skill? How do you problem solve? Why is that a helpful skill? How do you repair relationships? Why is that a helpful skill? And we just kind of spent three years picking out all of these little pieces and making them visible for the kids and allowing them to test them out on learning things of their choice. But then in the upper school, they fed back into their GCSE classes and they were the freedom was freedom of what they learned was taken away from them again, but how they learned remained. So they were able to make choices about how they wanted to memorize the facts that they needed for their history GCSE, or how they wanted to design the experiments that they were going to have to use in their science exams. And that seemed to work. So it was a compromise, but it seemed to work. And it wasn't something that needed the entire school system to be rearranged to achieve either. We just needed a bit of extra time in the lower school um, to, to put those learning skills in. So it, it can be done now. 
I've removed the top end and it's all self-directed. That's kind of the evolution of where it's gone for me. And I, it's just like having all the rocks taken out of my pockets as an educator. And it's the same for the kids. And they do make really interesting choices. My daughter does choose to do maths by herself for the weekend. And she's choosing to be, she's learning about herbalism. And that's taking her down the natural biology route. Only because she wants to mix potions, right? She's eight. But she's now learning about all of the plants that grow here and how you get the goo out of the plants and what the goo is that's inside the plants. And it's everything that would be on the biology curriculum, probably. Maybe the language isn't the same, but we're learning about what the goo is together. And we're learning about all kinds of things. So if she chooses to sit a biology GCSE when she's older, she'll have the skills and tools she needs probably to pass. Yeah, yeah, thank you. I love that rocks analogy as well. Um, so Lox and Yumna, I'd really like to hear from you. What, what, was your, what were your thoughts on this, Lox, as you were listening to that podcast about this idea that young people don't always make good decisions and therefore adults should choose on their behalf? Well, I think that... Um, that um, I think children you know they they are capable of 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 um making the right decision but that it, it is a question of um of sort of how old they are and sort of how much they understand what is good for them and but um i do think that that's not entirely true that um that they that children don't know what's good for them they do that it's just it sort of starts to show a bit more as they get older i think because um because um it is hard for them because yeah it, it, I think yeah like um, what Kate was saying you they um, they would go and play Minecraft for a week if you said uh, or um w- or watch Netflix and all that stuff if you if you said go do whatever you want for a week they would do that um around my age but um so I I guess when you get to like um when you get to like asthma's age then you get then um you then you start sort of you you really like understand that a bit more and sort of get stuff sort of start to do stuff more more and um, better for your brain i think mm, yeah yeah thank you so you, you yeah you're learning through experience um and people start to make make more healthy decisions over time anyway uh, and that speaks to this de-schooling process that somebody mentioned earlier and there's a there's a there's a, a chapter in naomi's book on that which is really interesting and it's as much about adults and parents as it is about young people this process of of you know de-schooling our, our minds um which it might be interesting to come on to as a final thing um but we're going to have to wrap up fairly soon i think uh yumna what are your thoughts on what you've been hearing yeah, it just reminds me of a quote I read um, in the book Atomic um, Habits by James Clear. And he says, you don't rise to the level of your goals, you fall to, fall to the level of your system. And so when edu- when education system focuses on the final outcome of this is the goal of how many GCSEs you need to get and so on, um, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't make a student motivated to achieve that. But what Kate was talking about, about what you um, implemented, um, with self-directed learning with the lower years um, and then when you got to you know year 10 year 11 whatever um, that was stripped the younger years um, you implemented a different system and then they were able to implement the skills and the how to learn when they got to the GCSEs so that that just really struck with me about how we can change our system um, so that we're not we're not focusing on the final outcome but we're focusing on what we need um, as individuals um, 
and developing on focusing our own identities. Mm. Yeah, thank you. Um, Amelia? Uh, just to really quickly make a plug, because um, I agree completely with what you're saying, uh, rethinking assessment, if people aren't already following, please do follow, look at the blogs, get involved. Um, they're really very seriously trying to think about an alternative to GCSEs um, and the school system in England. And um, yeah, all all views are really important and can be fed into that. Also, um, Big Change, the charity, is running something currently called the Big Education Conversation, uh, which will be leading into much longer term things. But again, if you want to be thinking about how can some of this thinking influence um, the sort of formal state sector, um, that would be another place to try and do that. Yeah, thank you. I mean, there are so many people having these these kinds of conversations at the moment in a in quite a big way, um, and it is important to make sure our voices are heard uh, in that um, because you know there's an opportunity here. It seems like the pandemic has presented everybody with an opportunity to really just think: Do we really want to go back to what we were doing before? And most people agree that you know that it's not such a good idea. Um, but change is hard. Like it's it's a really hard process. It does happen. This had a lovely message on the Facebook feed from Ian Bremner, who's who's tuning in, who said a message for Aaliyah. Some people do hear your voice after the session two weeks ago. He approached his senior team to invite students to attend and present at the termly session where teachers and managers discuss teaching and learning. He said it was agreed and it's a start, which is. Nice to hear. Thank you for sharing that, Ian. Um, okay, so it's quarter past one. Um, I think it might be nice to, to wrap this up. Shall we just whiz around the screen? You can pass if you like. Has anyone got any sort of like final final thoughts or passing uh, uh, passing thoughts as, as we as we part company for for now? Uh, let's start with Naomi Clark. Yeah, I just wanted to plug um, this book. I don't know if anyone's read it before. So it's a by Akila S. Richards, a black woman on school in America. It's really, really, it's a really important book about the link between sort of colonialism and the education system as well, and how you can sort of um, de-school yourself in order to allow your children to live a freer future. And it's not just for black families or it's for everyone. It's a really, really important book. There aren't many um, sort of books aimed at home education and unschooling like this one. So, yeah. Yeah, thank you. I saw a conversation between her and and Lucy Atkin Reed, um, where they were talking about school as a colonizing project and decolonizing um, your mind. And it's not necessarily in the way that we think of decolonizing the curriculum, you know, in, in on the long lines of, of racial differences. But in terms of just like your mind being cut, like everyone's in this, like your mind is colonized when you are told what to do and when and how all the time. Um, so it's interesting to think of it through that lens. So thank you for that. Um, and I recommend I'll put a link to that to that conversation. Uh, Her podcast in, is amazing as well. The Raising Free People podcast is also absolutely amazing. Yeah, she's very impressive. I was really taken by her. So, yeah, thank you for that. Um, OK, let's whiz around the screen. Artemis, final thoughts. Oh, this has been absolutely incredible and I've loved hearing all your voices. I particularly enjoyed hearing from all the young people here. It's always amazing to hear the voices of young people and I think they're the, honestly the most important in these conversations. So thank you so much for your time and your voices. Um, I would like to say if anyone here having heard all of this is really interested in starting their own learning community or getting involved with the learning community, um, the Freedom to Learn website is freedomtolearn.uk and there is guidance on starting your own learning community there's a toolkit for startups and there's also a directory of existing projects fantastic thank you kate just want to say as always what a pleasure it is um 
to meet other people who want to have these conversations and especially the voices of the young people um, so that we make sure that what we're doing is achieving what you need it to do. Yeah, thank you. Amelia? Yeah, I'll just ex expand on briefly what I was saying before about the big education conversation to correct that it's really more broadly about learning and education. So beyond thinking just about schools, um, and one of their big goals and big change is to sort of develop and promote the idea of learning ecosystems that are really trying to make connections between schools and other kind of learning communities. So, yeah, really hope everybody can get involved. Yeah, thank you. And I'll put links to that beneath the video and wherever in the podcast show notes. Thank you. Uh, Rose? I, I'm just echoing what other people have said. It's so lovely to have these conversations, to have different people from different backgrounds kind of pulled together. And it feels like there's, I mean, you could talk for hours about this kind of stuff. There is so much to say. And it is so good bringing younger people of different ages and just getting it all into the mix and all the different perspectives. And I've loved being a part of it and lovely to meet everyone. Lovely. Thank you. Asma. I just wanted to thank you, the adults in the room, for listening to us as well, because a lot of the time we're not, young people in these conversations are not treated as equal. So I really thank you guys for your time. It's been really refreshing to see that we're all on the same page and we all share the same passion for making sure that things do change. So I just, just keep doing what you're doing, guys. It's really, it's just a really nice thing. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. James? Uh, yeah, just to say thank you for, for having me and being part of the conversation. It's awesome. Um, I think in education, we talk a lot about being evidence-based. Well, if you need any evidence that self-directed education works, there's some on the screen right now and around. So there's no better evidence than that, I don't think. So thank you. Yeah, absolutely. I would echo that. Um, Naomi Fisher. Fisher. Hi. Yes, thank you so much for inviting me. It's been really interesting and lovely again, as everyone said, to hear the young people in particular. It's really valuable. And I think... I think where I come from really as a clinical psychologist, what got me into this in the first place was know, was working with people and knowing that when people feel powerless and when they feel they can't change the world around them, it has a really serious effect on how they live their lives and how they feel about their lives. And yet we've got an education system that is based on taking choices away and taking a power away and how can those two things work how can we how can we be surprised if we say that so many young people are anxious and depressed when we're putting them in a system which if if as an adult if you think about that i know that if i had to spend every day being told exactly what to do not having any choices i know i'd be miserable so i think we need to start just reflecting on what we know about ourselves and assuming that children are people too, because although that sounds like a really stupid basic thing to say, actually there's often an assumption that somehow for children, different rules apply. And I think what we're saying here is that isn't the case. The things that all of us need are the things that children need and they need choices and trust and the ability to have some power over their own lives. Yeah, thank you. And this this comes out in the, the, the research in the workplace as well, where people, you know, people value autonomy even more than pay. Like people just want a little bit of say over what they do. It just goes such a long way. 
Um, it is super important. And I wonder like, what kind of a world would we see? Because, you know, you might have noticed it's not going too well. There's quite a lot of scary stuff happening out in the world and has been for a long time. There's also a lot of amazing stuff. But like, what kind of a world would we see if young people were, were, were taught how to trust in their own choices and felt empowered and, and had that, that they had agency over their own lives? Um, I, I suspect it would be a much nicer world. Uh, that's my hunch. Uh, Locks. So I'd just like to say thank you so much for having me on the Zoom call. Uh, it's been a complete pleasure um, getting my voice heard and listening to everyone's thoughts and ideas. So just, yeah, thanks for having me. Mm, absolute pleasure. Thank you for joining us again. Uh, Yumna. Yeah, I just want to echo what everyone else is saying, but I do think that the new kind of student is someone who understands their own power their own agency, um, their own responsibility um, um, in shaping the world. And ultimately, if we can, you know, build that kind of new student, um, there will be more contributing citizens, world would be a much more empathetic place. Um, so thank you so, so much uh, for all the adults on this call and the young people for inviting me and holding that space. Mm, lovely to have you with us again. And lastly, Aliyah. Again, just echoing everybody else. Thank you so much, James, and everybody in the room for being so welcoming. And again, to all the people, crowd members, and also amazing locks for just, again, like James said, like giving the evidence of why this is really important and also having young people actually voicing their opinions. I think there's a more fundamental problem, which is trying to identify and establish what we actually want education to do and what it's for. And I feel like that definition varies like largely because teachers, parents and educational leaders aren't necessarily having that conversation together. So more conversations like this are amazing. And like Amelia said, the big educational conversation is something that everyone needs to get involved, not just those are in, in school. Mm. So thank you. Yeah, thank you. And there are some really interesting conversations that are happening behind the scenes at the moment, uh, which I can't really talk about currently. But, um, you know, we're, we are thinking about how can we do this in a more systematic way to bring young people and home educators and mainstream teachers and alternative educators around the decision making table together um, and figure out if we can uh, improve things and uh, the lovely comments uh, from ellie on the on the facebook feed as well who said that was an absolutely amazing affirming grounding and inspiring conversation as always thank you did you did you want to add something there earlier you put your hand up or is that yeah i just got reminded from you saying in the comment if we can make it a thing that after every like sort of podcast that we do challenge those listening to do something in their own practice because I made that comment not actually thinking that somebody would do something. Um, so, yeah, just to challenge yourself to essentially dare to give young people autonomy and give your um, your own staff and your own school autonomy over how they structure their lessons and their practice. And if anybody else has any challenges that they would like. But, yeah, just to continue the conversation on Twitter, as I'm sure it will do, and sharing ideas of what we can start doing, I think is a constructive thing to do. What a, what a wonderful note to, to end on. Dare to give young people a little bit of choice and voice and, and see how that goes. Fantastic. Thank you all very, very much indeed for sharing your time with us this morning and to everyone who's tuning in and listening on various platforms. Uh, until the next time, take care, everyone. 